0: Before we jump into Isaiah, when I was growing up um, from in Texas, which is where I'm originally from, I played a lot of soccer. I played for my high school team, and then I also played for a club team that would travel to Dallas every other weekend. Um, I played all year. I played during the school year. I played in the summer. Uh, I even played during the winter uh, for an indoor league. So needless to say, I loved soccer. I mean, I loved hearing about it. I loved watching it on TV. I loved talking about it with other people. I loved playing it. So you can imagine how excited, how blown away I was when I was invited to go watch a professional soccer game with a few other of my teammates at the newly built Cowboys Stadium just outside of Dallas. Dallas. I don't know if you've seen this stadium or watched it, maybe watched a football game on TV with it, but this, this place is amazing. Um, it seats over 80,000 people. It's got a massive sunroof that can open and close at any time. And it's probably the most impressive part is these screens that hang above the field that reach from one 20-yard line all the way to the other 20-yard line. Just amazing. I remember walking in and just being in awe. I mean, speechless. But the most excited I was, the reason I was most excited wasn't necessarily where this game was at, but who was playing in it. I don't know if they still do this or not, but at one time, teams, the most elite, best teams in all the world uh, would come to the United States and play in different stadiums all across the country. Teams from England, from Spain, from Mexico. They mean the best teams in the world with some of the best players in the world. And so I remember walking in to the stadium, seeing the two teams' logos on the screen, looking down and seeing the players warming up on the field and just being in utter and complete amazement. Some of you may be hearing this and thinking, Soccer? Why does, why would he love soccer? Which, which I can understand. Uh, but for teenage Paul, this was amazing. This was uh, one of the best experiences of my life. Uh, hands down, one of the best invitations that I have ever received. And as good as that invitation was, as good as anything that you may have been invited to, God is inviting you and me this morning to something, to someone even greater. He's not inviting us to a place, but he's inviting us to himself, to know him, to enjoy him, to come and to feast at his table, to come to be a part of his family, to experience forgiveness of sin, to experience eternal life forever with him. I hope to persuade you this morning to accept this invitation, to say yes to God's call. Now for some of you, it may be the first time that you've heard this invitation. I would encourage you, listen closely, hear and respond to what God has to offer you this morning. For the others of you, you may have heard this invitation before, maybe several times, maybe here at Calvary, but you haven't yet accepted it, and I would, I would plead with you. Hear again this invitation and respond to God. For many others of you, you heard this invitation maybe many, many years ago and praise the Lord, you said yes, right? You, like you got the save the date in the mail, you hit, check, yes, I'll be there, and you send it back. You got notification on your phone, Google Calendar, Invite, and you hit Accept, yes, I'll be there. But as good as that is, as much as you have received this invitation, even though you have accepted it, sin and things of this world still find a way to creep into our lives. And we need to hear this invitation and respond again to God. So let's see what this great invitation is together, looking at Isaiah 55. It's also printed in the worship guide, if you want to read along there. Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. These are the words of the Lord. My prayer this morning is that God would use His Word to lead you to seek Him, to follow Him, by calling out to Him, turning from sin in your life, as you see how good and how true His ways are. In the words we just read in Isaiah 55, God invites us to seek Him, to know Him. This is the greatest invitation That we will ever receive. To know and to enjoy the creator of the universe. To have a personal relationship with the one who made us. On the movie Toy Story, Woody the Sheriff, his greatest joy is spending time with his kid Andy. Like the other toys, Woody's most happy when Andy would come into the room, search for him, find him, and then spend hours on end playing with him. Like Andy reaching out to Woody, God is reaching out to you and me, inviting us to seek him, to know him, to enjoy him. But how do we do this? How do we seek the Lord? Well, Isaiah first tells us to seek the Lord is to call out to Him, to call upon Him. We see this in verse 6. We look there again. It says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. To seek God, we must call upon Him and call upon Him in prayer. This language of calling upon the Lord is found all throughout Scripture to refer to people coming before God and asking Him to intervene somehow in their lives. To ask for Him to intervene in times of distress, in times of uncertainty, to give protection in times of danger. And the Psalms are a great example of this, right? I'll list just a few here for you. Psalm 86.7 says, In the day of my trouble I call upon you, for you answer me. Psalm one hundred and two, verse two says, Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. Psalm 18.3 says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. And in Psalm 118.5, what we read earlier in our call to prayer says, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. Friends, to seek the Lord means to call out to him. Just as you might call your dad when you're having car troubles. Just as you might call your husband on his way home from work to see if he can pick up groceries. Just as you might call 911 when a friend suffers a heart attack while out for dinner. Calling upon the Lord, crying out to Him, asking Him to help us in our distress, saying, God, help me. God, if you're there, heal my mother. Call out to God in for counsel. You say, God, show me what I must do. God, where should I go to college? God... Who should I marry? God, how should I spend my retirement years? We call out to the Lord for wisdom, for comfort. As Christians, I think we all too often skip this piece, right? We go through our life facing difficult situations, maybe making tough decisions, and we forget that we have access to the God who is sovereign over all of these things like a little boy who cries out for his father to save him from drowning in the deep end of the swimming pool. We must call out to God, cry out to God to help us in our distress, to give us wisdom in making decisions, to give us comfort in times of sorrow. Now, we can call out to God for all of these sorts of things that I've just mentioned, but Isaiah seems to have something Particular here, he wants us to call out to God for. But before we look at this, let's look and see one more way that we must seek God. Isaiah tells us in verse 7, this second way. Let's look at verse 7. He says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. To forsake means to abandon or to turn away from. This means that part of seeking the Lord involves you and me recognizing the parts of our lives that are offensive to God and turning away from them. Isaiah is calling the sinner, he's calling you and me to turn away from our sin. But he's even more specific here. Again, he says, Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. When Isaiah speaks here of ways and thoughts, he's referring to how someone lives their life, what motivates them, what drives them. He's telling us that whatever it is that gets us out of bed in the morning, whatever it is that informs our decisions and our views on life is skewed and it's broken. And we need to give it up. If you're not a Christian this morning and you're considering seeking the Lord, accepting this invitation, what might this look like for you? For the Muslim, this means forsaking the worship of Allah and reference and adherence to the Quran, to worshiping Yahweh and following His word. For the Jehovah's Witness, it means forsaking false teachings about who Jesus is, not being God. Turning to worship Him as fully God and as fully man. For the one who would say that love is love, that no one should tell me or someone else who they ought to marry or to sleep with, means that they ought to believe that God is love and that He defines what marriage and human sexuality is. For the Christian, what might this look like for you? What might be some faulty or skewed ways of thinking that you or I may fall into? Now, as Christians living in a still somewhat culturally Christian Midwest, we can often be tempted to think of God or the Christian life in ways that the Bible does not describe. One example is what a lot of people would call a success-driven life. This view causes us to look at life as a wheel, different parts of our lives as just spokes on that wheel. You've got your family, your wife, your kids, you've got your job, you've got your hobbies, uh, you've got your physical health, and God and the Christian life is just one more spoke on that wheel, just one more piece to your life. In the center of that wheel is success. What fundamentally drives you is being a successful person. Being a successful husband is what fundamentally drives you. Being a successful person at your job is what fundamentally drives you. Being in the best physical shape of your life is what fundamentally drives you. When this happens, when we think this way, our relationship with God, our involvement with His people, the church, is just one more piece to our life that makes us a successful person. God just becomes a means to an end. Another way of thinking that we must forsake in order to truly and fully seek the Lord is what some would call a moralistic, therapeutic deism. Now those are some big words Thrown together, what does that mean? What is this way of thinking? Well, one researcher of religion in America, after interviewing over 3,000 young Americans, many of whom considered themselves Christians, described the beliefs of this way of thinking in these five ways. One, God ex- a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And five, probably the most damaging... Good people go to heaven when they die. This way of thinking makes God out to be a genie in the sky who is there when you need Him, but doesn't get too much in the way of you or other people in their happiness. If you're a good person, you go to church every once in a while, you give to Riley Hospital, You pray before meals and you don't offend too many people. When you die, you go to heaven. With this view, like the success-driven view, the Christian life and relationship with God just becomes a means to an end. The central questions of your life become, how do I be a better person? How do I be a better wife, a better parent, better at finances? Becomes, what can I do to live a better, happy, feel good life? Well, friend, these worldviews, these beliefs and ideologies are sin. And all of us, all humanity has missed the mark here. All of us walk around with messed up, wacky ways of thinking. But these ways just aren't wacky. They're deeply, deeply offensive to God. And they put us in a perilous, terrible position before Him. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Later in Romans 6, verse 23, God tells us that the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we deserve to die, to be eternally and forever separated from God, to be eternally and forever in terrible torment and destruction. Our wicked ways and our unrighteous thoughts condemn us. But here in Isaiah's words, we find great An incredible news. I mentioned earlier that part of seeking the Lord means to call upon Him. And that here in these verses, Isaiah has something in particular he wants us to call out to God for. It's in this call and in how God responds that we see the best news. The best part of God's invitation to us. Let's look again at verse 7. It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. I'm going to read that again. Hope you hear it this time. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. Friend, God is inviting you to call out to Him for forgiveness, to turn from your sin, to confess it to Him, and to be completely embraced in His arms. I plead with you, if you have not felt this love for sinners of God, turn from your sin, call upon the Lord even this morning, And feel His warm, gracious, strong embrace. Christian, if you find yourself caught in sin, maybe in one of the ways of thinking that I just described, run back to the Lord. Confess your sin to Him and feel His abundant mercy and pardon rush over you. But how can God do this? How can God simply pardon sinners? How can He pardon rebellious sinners who deserve death and destruction because of their sin? Does He just ignore it? No, the reason God can do this is because someone else paid the penalty for your sin. Someone else died All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of God, the suffering servant, he is the lamb who is slain in our place. He is the one who bore our sins on his body on the cross so that we might go free. So friend, turn from your sin. Turn to God and cry out to Him for mercy and pardon. Trust in this Jesus. Believe that He paid the price for your sin and that He has risen from the grave to give you new life in Him. God is inviting you this morning to seek Him. To seek Him by calling out to Him. By repenting of your sin and experiencing His forgiveness and love. You you may be now asking the question, why should I do this? Why should I want to turn from sin in my life? Why should I want to stop doing the things that I love and seek God instead? Well, Isaiah tells us, The first reason that we should ought to want to seek the Lord is what we just talked about. And because of your sin, you face the terrible, awful wrath of God, destined for death and hell. If you cry out to Him for forgiveness, He will abundantly pardon you because of what Christ has done for you on the cross. You will no longer be alienated from God you will be brought into his family to experience all the blessings of salvation. Seeking God in this way is the only way that you can be spared from the wrath of God that's upon you. The second reason comes from verses 8 and 9. Look there with me. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We ought to want to seek the Lord because His ways and His thoughts are better, they're higher, and they're greater than ours. Now, a lot of times when you hear these verses quoted, it's usually in reference to some mysterious or unknown movement of God in their life or in someone else's life. One example may be a sudden death of a loved one or a hurricane that devastates the coast. You might hear someone say, God moves in a mysterious way. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Now, as good and as true as the statement is about God's sovereignty... I think it misses the main point Isaiah is trying to make here. He's saying that in relation to our wicked ways and to our wicked thoughts in verse seven, God's ways and God's thoughts are different. They're better. Just as the heavens above the sky are far away from, are separate and different from the earth, just as when At night, you may look up into the stars and see how far away even the closest star is. God's ways and his thoughts are different, better, greater than ours. This means that the way God views the world, the way God even views himself, is consistent with reality. It's true. Not only is it true, it's good. Psalm 119, verse 68 says, You are good, and you do good. It's a good verse to memorize. You are good, and you do good. Everything God does, and everything He is, is good. What better example of this is there than the Gospel, amen? The truth that God would choose to show mercy and forgiveness to such rebellious and mean creatures as us. That the Son of God would take on humanity, live a completely human life, warts and all, all to save and redeem sinners like you and me. This ought to make us sing, Hallelujah, what a Savior. This God... The God who does this, He has to be good. And for those individuals I mentioned earlier, how will God's ways prove to be better for them? Well, for the Muslim, it means he won't have to wait until the judgment to know if Allah favors him, but he can know he is pardoned now. For the Jehovah's Witness, it means doesn't have to wonder if he's faithful enough to be a part of the 144,000 who get to go to heaven, but can know he is forgiven and saved by God and will spend eternity with Him. For the man or woman who defines marriage and sexuality as love is love, it means he or she can see the covenant love of Christ, the love that He has for His church, displayed in the marriage between one woman and one man. For the person that is driven and consumed with being successful, it means they can know that God loves them, that God forgives them, not because of all the amazing things they've done in their life, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for them. For the person whose main goal in life is to be happy, the person who sees God as maybe a distant, fun uncle, means they can experience the true joy and peace with a God who longs to know them personally and intimately. God's ways and God's thoughts are just better than ours. Friend, I plead with you give up these false and empty pursuits and follow Him. The last reason we should want to seek the Lord is found in the first verse of what we read this morning. Verse 6, if you look back there with me. He says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. We should want to seek the Lord right now. This very morning, because the time is limited. Isaiah is saying there is a time when God will be found there is a time when God will be near friend that time is now you're here listening to God's words you're hearing it read in the service you're hearing it preached even right now respond to him today because this means that there is a time when God will not be found there is a time when God will not be near You may never know when this time will come. Don't miss the opportunity that's before you. Don't put this off. Come to Jesus. Seek the Lord. Call upon Him. Turn from your broken and sinful ways and follow His. Brother and sister in Christ, for you there is both an urgency to turn back to the Lord in your own life and also an urgency in the mission. Jesus has commissioned you to go, to share this invitation, to share this call with all the world. To implore your friends, your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, to accept this great call. God has commissioned you to go to the ends of the world, to proclaim the gospel to those who have never heard it. May we feel the urgency deep in our hearts this morning. May we take God's great invitation seriously. May we seek Him by calling out to Him, confessing our sin, experiencing His forgiveness and His love, and walking in His good ways. Let's do that even right now as we call out to the Lord in prayer.